Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we break down what is an ICAC and how Australia manages corruption. Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa DeGrazia. And welcome back to another fortnight of Australia Explained. Yes, and we are recording on Wurundjeri land today. I'm kind of mixing up our acknowledgements of country because I felt like the old one was too boring and a and bit scripted. Yeah, and I was like, that's really not the point. Yeah. So it's going to be different every week. Hope you all enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, authentic is where we want to go with our acknowledgement of countries. Um, but today, let's get on to today's episode. This is a bit of a two-part um, episode of our series on political corruption. And you may remember earlier this year, we did a deep dive into political donations and how they're used to engineer election outcomes and also conceal lobbying from big corporations and their sort of influence within politics. We'll pop a link to that dark donations episode in our show notes if you want to check it out. But today we're diving a little bit further into federal corruption and calls for a federal corruption body. Yeah, so today we're switching our focus from how the government is corrupt to how we can fix it. You know, what can be done about corruption? What laws exist to prevent it? And these questions are arising as Gladys Berejiklian, the almost disgraced ex-premier of New South (laughs) Wales, um, she continues to be in the media spotlight for revelations of corruption. And we'll explain that a little bit more later. But before we get into it, I want to introduce our guest for today. We are very excited to have on Louis, who runs a very popular news Instagram account called At The Virtuous Victorian. Louis, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Excited to be a guest on this podcast. I'm a big fan. Yes, we're big fans of you and we're excited to have you on because we love your Instagram account. We really do. It blew up what seemed like overnight and all our friends are on it. So before we get into the corruption side of this episode, how about you tell our listeners a little bit about your platform and your Instagram account, what it is and what do you do? Well, basically the short is we are a social media account um, and we... I, you could call it news, you could call it political commentary, depending on what your political views are. You know, we're either uh, communists or we're either far right. I mean, everyone has a different view on it. But we basically just want to break down uh, news events for young people. Uh, obviously, we are run by young people and uh, we're trying to very similar to this podcast, kind of break down complex issues that can seem daunting and kind of hard to understand. Uh, Just make them simple and make them shareable because I know people want to engage in political conversation. People want to engage in politics. And, you know, there's there's a big barrier and some may say that's on purpose to keep young people out of it. But uh, there's definitely a lot of room for young people to uh, have their voice be heard and, you know, engage with each other and share with each other and start that conversation. So we're just trying to help that. Yeah, I would say you really have that similar mission to us about making it accessible for all ages because really, and I'm sure, Tanya, you see this as a teacher, like it's a, it's difficult for teenagers to access news about politics yeah. when it's always in these big publications, long-form articles. They simply don't interact with that Yeah, all the and time. news stories that are constantly being updated, you know, new events arising every day, 
it is easier to get lost amongst it. And we often speak about this sort of very rapidly turning over um, media cycle where it's so hard to keep up. Um, So I feel like our missions are very similar in that sense, trying to get people on top of what's happening, but also boost their media literacy and make sure that they can engage with topics in future. So we really love what you do and your your posts definitely are shareable. We've all shared them. (laughs) Everyone on my Instagram feed has shared them. So I definitely think you're hitting the mark there. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it's it's crazy as well, because I, I see my own friends uh, who maybe don't know that it's me behind the account sharing my posts. And like, it's kind of funny to see that and think to myself, like, oh, that's that's my post. Um, but it's I'm just glad to see these people. <laughs> that must be a great feeling. Yeah, no, it, it's... I know, you're clearly doing something right. It, it's almost like a little uh, kind of Batman moment, like, yeah, that that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. In terms of your platform, we know where it is at the moment, but what do you see for the future? Where do you want to grow it to? Well, I mean, we talked about this earlier. We just want to expand and we want to just, you know, stay as true to our mission as possible of reaching young people. So uh, we def- we're looking to launch a podcast, which is going to be a, a weekly, um, you know, I know I've come onto your podcast to plug my podcast, but that's just podcast. Oh, no, we, we love, love it. it. <laughs> um, no, it, it's just going to be a weekly recap because, you know, sometimes you miss a post during the week and, um, you know, we'll, we'll discuss it. We'll have guests on and, you know, we'll get we'll get politicians on as well and have them be able to reach young people because, you know, that's some politicians struggle to do that and some young people feel uh, disenfranchised by that. So we're just trying to be that bridge. And in terms of of the post, uh, sorry, the page itself, uh, just keep doing what we're doing um, and, you know, keep the pressure on because obviously we've been pretty good at that so far. Yes, keeping the pressure on. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, I guess, some of the things you've done later on, but we love it. We love your page. We love that you're on with us today. And let's get into a bit more of our discussion. Yeah. So today's episode is less going to be less of an interview of Louis, but rather he's actually going to do the episode with us because he knows a lot about this topic. Like we've said, we're really on the same page. We're both working in this media space. Um, And it was actually one of his posts that encouraged us to write this episode. So we're going to do it together. We're excited. And we actually haven't done a domestics politics episode in ages. So I'm keen. Let's get into it. So as we said earlier, concerns about corruption have been in and out of the news cycle for the past few months as Gladys Berejiklian's actions unfolded in national media. Am I the only one that loves her last name? I just love saying it. I know. It used to be daunting to say because you didn't know how all the letters work together, but now now you know. When you get it, it's really satisfying. (laughs) Anyway, back to the point. For those who don't know the Gladys story, we'll give you a very quick catch up. So she's being investigated by the New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption, or ICAC, um, for directing taxpayer money to projects for her then-partner and ex-parliamentarian, Daryl Maguire. And we'll play the phone call now that the ICAC heard between the pair. I don't want to argue with you. I just need to go and chill because you've stressed me out. All right, I'll go and chill. You just throw money at Wagga. I'll, I'll throw money at Wagga. Don't you worry about that. Just listen to So when they're saying that they're going to be throwing money at Wagga, they're actually meaning the seat of Wagga Wagga, which was held by Maguire. So there's a lot more details to this story that we're not going to run through right now, um, but check the link. Check out the links in the show notes if you do want to find out more. Yeah, so essentially she's directing money towards things that were happening in Maguire's seat and, and 
region and obviously that does not seem very legal. It's kind of corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially this very high profile investigation of corruption, these phone calls, you know, these phone calls, Gladys also resigning from her position due to the investigation. This whole thing has provoked some questions about how corruption is managed in Australia. And we are going to address that today. So let's take a quick look at some of the stats on corruption in Australia. So a survey taken in 2019 pre-pandemic found that only 25% of voters trusted the people in government. We did a poll on our Instagram stories recently with the same question, whether people or not trusted the government. And out of the 120 responses that we received, 97% of people said, nope, they do not trust our current government. Which is kind of dire. Very dire. Yeah. I wonder, like, in terms of our listeners versus extrapolated across the population, yes. obviously there would be a difference, yeah, but that's still dire. Doesn't, it, we don't know whether whether it's a representative sample of yeah, the whole I mean, of it's the not, country. But, yeah. but, you know, if, if it's a screen, if it's, you know, a little sample of what we could expect, it yeah. is dire. Um, but it really comes down to the pandemic, I feel, because... In some states, it did a lot to boost faith in leaders. I know WA absolutely loves Mark McGowan right now mm-hmm. and everything he's done for the state. But, you know, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, it has sort of had the opposite effect, especially because we've had a different experience with COVID than some of the other states. Um, and for the federal government as well, it could have potentially boosted their their popularity, but we still do have some problems. Yeah, so looking at Australia's rating in terms of corruption, we sit at a 77. And to put this into context, New Zealand has the top score, which I'm jealous because (laughs) they're supposed to be the same as us and they're doing better. Um, The top score of 88. Germany's got an 80. The US is a measly 67. And it goes down all the way to Somalia at 12. So overall, we're not too bad. We're pretty lucky to live in a country that has a good level of transparency. However, it's for that reason exactly that we need to keenly protect it. And we had a similar discussion on our very first episode about media ownership saying, you know, it's not the worst situation, but it's definitely not the best and we can make it better. Yeah, and we will. Or we hope we will. (laughs) We hope. (laughs) So what corruption bodies do we currently have at the moment to manage this sort of activity? Yeah, so to start off, I just want to say that in a democracy, it's absolutely integral that there are roles and organisations that protect the democratic process, that oversee it. And we can't just trust that everybody's doing the right thing. I mean, I wish we could, but we can't. And that's why we have things like the Ombudsman, the Auditor General and anti-corruption commissions such as the ICAC. Yeah. So we just mentioned that New South Wales has a corruption body, an ICAC, as this is the commission that is currently investigating Gladys. Every state and territory has an ICAC or some sort of version of it. And the strength of these institutions change state by state, with New South Wales having one of the strongest in our country. A number of Liberal Party premiers have resigned due to ICAC investigations, including Gladys. Yeah, from memory, I think the exact number was three. Um, Three 
New South Liberal premiers have resigned because of the New South Wales ICAC, which is a, a lot. Well, it's a small number, but in the fact that these people are leading the state, it's a, yeah, it's a big it's, number. I think it's a big number yeah, in the context. Definitely. Um, here in Victoria, we have an IBAC, which is quite similar, just instead of the C, you've got a B, and it has less powers than the ICAC. So they have a smaller scope of things that they can investigate, and they have less power to force people to cooperate, bringing people in for warrants and things like that. So while every state and territory does have an anti-corruption body, they really all vary in terms of power and effectiveness, and they're changing all the time. Yeah, now I think, Louis, you can jump in here because you shared some pretty concerning information about what happened with the ICAC in South Australia. Could you shed some light on that for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, This was actually a story I nearly missed. Uh, It was pointed out to me by one of my patrons and, you know, I kind of – we – us kind of political accounts, um, we have a, a communication with each other. And I was talking to some South Australian um, uh, pages and they did, they, they were talking to me this and they were freaking out. And it's the fact that um, South Australia is effectively looking to weaken their ICAC. And it's pretty concerning. The The facts are that uh, uh, SA Best MP, Frank Pangello, uh, he he introduced the bill to remove the ability to investigate misconduct and maladministration. And there was pretty much unanimous cons- uh, consensus. Everyone voted to pass the bill. And the um, it's actually in essay, the ICAC is a single person. And she said that it was extraordinary. Uh, and it's, it is quite kind of crazy to think about the fact that um, – why would they be seeking to limit the powers? Why would someone want to do that? I mean, surely if you aren't corrupt, uh, you would want an ICAC that's as powerful as possible so to get rid of those that are. Mm-hmm. And even though this is only in South Australia, should we be worried because it's setting a precedent? Well, you could say that. I mean, people will call, could call that out as a slippery slope fallacy, but I, I think that if it's possible for an ICAC to be limited power-wise and other states are looking on uh, as this is happening and seeing that it works, then I think maybe the major parties you know, that maybe have some things that they don't want to be uh, dug up, they could kind of, in a sense, kind of make some deals together and you know, limit the power uh, of their ICACs kind of behind the scenes. So I, I think it is something to be wary of, but it's definitely something we should call out when we see. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned a point there that if there is no corrupt people um, in Parliament, that they'd want to weed those people out. So, yeah, something to definitely be concerned of. And I think as well, being so, we're Melbourne-centric here because we live in Melbourne, so we're quite concerned with our own state. But these things can fly under the radar, especially because it is a state-to-state basis. And there is no federal ICAC, which we'll talk about next. So we've gone over state ICACs. What about a federal one? So there have been calls for a federal ICAC for quite a long time. If you listened to our Dark Donations episode we have in our show notes, you'll not be surprised the amount of people that are calling for this. And there are plenty of instances of corruption in federal politics that clearly need to be addressed. Yeah, in terms of the policy for a federal ICAC, it originated as a Greens policy. Um, They've been strong on this for quite a while. Um, Both the major parties were slow to agree. So Labor definitely came on board first. And um, I just wanted to make clear that 
a national anti-corruption commission is a big pillar of Labor policy. I feel like we're coming into the election. We should start to note those things (laughs) because it's really hard to know unless you trawl through um, policies and websites what the parties are actually offering. And the Liberal Party have adopted this policy too. It was part of ScoMo's election promises. But Liberals' version, it will not have nearly as much power as the New South Wales ICAC. So very interesting to see why the Liberal Party want to adjust some of the powers and tweak some of the policy. Yeah, but this is definitely an improvement for the past. And I'm kind of just including this because it's a little bit humorous to me um, when they were absolutely against it. And I came across a quote from Tony Abbott in 2018, who said it would be much better at ruining reputations than uncovering criminals. And the discourse we had last week about reputations of strong, powerful, often men, um, it really drew some comparisons. there. Yeah, I thought about that straight away and how there's less of a concern about the greater good and more of a concern about protecting the reputations of those involved. Mm. But in a way, if you're somewhat investigated by ICAC and you turn out to be innocent, it it still concerns me that you're part of the investigation in the first place. Maybe that's just my own personal opinion. I'm definitely not trying to push that on anyone else, Mm. but you can't help but think whether this person will continue to end up in these similar scenarios. So, you know what, Abbott, that quote can go and get screwed, I think. (laughs) But essentially where we're at now is that there's been a draft of what powers and responsibilities um, a federal ICAC would have, and this is currently being moved into parliament and being debated. But reviews on this ICAC bill so far are not that positive, labelling at labelling it as the weakest watchdog in the country with not enough powers to investigate scandals about public money and where our money is going. So, for example, there was a sports rort scandal in which the coalition assigned public money for sports grounds in places and electorates they needed to gain votes in, which would not be able to be investigated by the currently proposed ICAC. Yeah, and if you've got an institution that can't even investigate some of the common or main crimes that have been committed, it's kind of useless. Yeah. <laughs> and all most voters undeniably want a strong ICAC. Almost three quarters of all voters want one that can hold public hearings and launch its own investigation. So one that has got, got a little power to it, got mm-hmm. a bit of meat. Um, and that's not uncertain. You know, the voters want it. And that's why ScoMo has been pushed into this situation in the first place of even entertaining the idea of an ICAC. And like I said, we are leading towards an election and we have to remember election promises aren't always fulfilled. So there is a lot of discourse around an ICAC and ScoMo putting his voice behind it, but how it actually plays out in the future is, you know, sort of up in the air. Mm. Especially if it ends up being a symbolic ICAC with little powers. Mm. Now, we touched on this earlier, Louis, so I might turn it over to you. Why are they, why do you think they're so unenthusiastic about an ICAC? Well, I mean, that's probably a pretty easy question. I think why doesn't ScoMo want an ICAC? Because it's not in his own interest. I mean, that's just the way he governs this country. He's always looking out for not only his own back, but his mate's back. I mean, he if he created this ICAC, it's very likely it's going to dig up dirt on his own government. And that's why there's all this talk about, you know, it not being retrospective and it not being able to uh, have a lot of its own power. I think Scott Morrison has a lot of 
kind of skeletons in his closet and he is trying to keep them hidden. Uh, I think it's also important to note that, yeah, the election is coming up. And um, he's going to say anything. I mean, he said this at the last election. Uh, it's been over a thousand days, you know, that statistic that always gets thrown around. It's been over a thousand days uh, since he promised one. And I think when I talked about it, I, I compared it to the the, the way that you, you promise your mum that you're going to clean your room, but, you know, it's been a very long time and you still haven't done it. And, you know, both your room and the Morrison government are really starting to stink. And something needs to be done. Uh, and Labor, I know that Shadow Attorney General Mark Dreyfus, you know, he's calling for a federal ICAC very strongly. And we do need one and we need one with teeth. We need one that can look back and kind of clean up the record and uh, weed out these bad eggs. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's a bit of a reflection on us as like the voting population of Australia in that, like I said, there's strong statistics that voters want this ICAC, but the government's not really giving it. If we continue to vote for the parties that aren't giving us what we want, how does that reflect back on us as a country? Yeah. Like what standard are we accepting? That's true. And are we also like willingly buying into these promises to secure, they want to secure our vote, essentially. That's why these are called election promises, because we hang off the notion that they will implement these things and hence our vote is with them. Um, Are we still willingly buying into that or will there come a point in time where we can step back and be like, hey, I think they're actually just trying to grab my vote here. Can I see where this might go? And what happens if I am disappointed? What happens if the party doesn't implement the kind of ICAC that I want? Why is now such an important time to get this ICAC moving? I think the political environment that we have at the moment is really rife with distrust of the government. Um, Australians, I think we still trust our institutions. I think that's why, even though we have a distrust of the government, we've still gotten vaxxed and we're doing our part. We trust each other and we trust our institutions, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a trust in the government. Mm. I mean, maybe that's just a really Victorian perspective because here the trust is quite low, But no, even federally across the country, there's not really this culture of transparency um, that we need. And people can really see that at the moment. I think what you're trying to say is that we have a regard for authority. We're not the type of country that completely throws out authority. We do sort of stick to our processes. And for the most part, there is little debate or, or, you know, discussion around them. But there is a little bit of more questioning now. Why are they doing these things? Um, why does the government not want to tell me this? I think people are starting to question some of the motives and that's where we get this distrust. And honestly, the states are doing more work in this regard, um, passing laws about lobbying and political donations using their ICACs. So the federal government really needs to keep up, especially heading into an election. And a body like this will ensure that politicians are working our interests, not theirs or their corporate interests as well. And now it's time for our recommendations. So, Vanessa, what have you got for me today? 
Um, I've got an article from The Conversation, stole your favourite publication. Love The Conversation. Um, <laughs> that encapsulates really why we need stronger corruption regulations. It talks about an ICAC. It also talks about whistleblowing, mm. which is another aspect of this that um, I didn't want to do an hour-long episode, so I didn't include. But mm. um, I would recommend the article because it kind of dives deep into that and it's really interesting. I'm recommending our Dark Donations episode. I know we've discussed it a lot, but we've had a lot of good feedback on that episode and just um, unveiling where a lot of our money is funneled because it is it is an aspect of corruption and um, I think that's what Gladys is com- currently coming under fire for. Mm-hmm. And, Louis, last but not least, what is your recommendation to our listeners? Well, I have two recommendations. Uh, the first one is a crikey article that I was just reading before I came on here. It, it's about um, a couple of liberal uh, member liberal members were seeking to remove the charity status of theyvoteforyou.com, which is a website that shows uh, publicly the voting records of MPs. And these liberal MPs are trying to remove the charity status of this website so that they can, in effect, censor it because they believe that it's distorting their views when in actual fact it is quite literally reporting how they vote uh, as how they voted. Yeah, as a big fan of that website, that's sad. Which, mm. you know, goes into goes and ties with this uh, culture of uh, transparency and anti-corruption. And then the second recommendation I have is just uh, a couple of accounts that I work very closely with on Instagram. If, you, if you're interested in immer- immersing yourself more in um, the political sphere on Instagram, uh, Toilet Paper Australia is one that I work close, very closely with. Uh, he's more meme-focused. Uh, and then more accounts like me, you've got The Bargaining Code, uh, Conservative Liberals, and then just the rest are kind of my friends that wanted me to shout them out. So you've got Aussie Lefty, uh, Australian Labor Politics, Slide to the Left and Sit Down Australia. So they're really great guys uh, and great people. And, you know, we're all working towards the same goal of uh, educating people and trying to get people involved in politics. Maybe we can make a little list of your recommendations of accounts. Yeah, definitely. We'll pop yeah. those in our show notes for you to access whenever you would like. Sounds good. That's it from us today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And thank you, Louis, for coming on with us. We're super excited about your platform, The Virtuous Victorian, um, and we think you've got really great things coming up. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm hope, hopefully I can come back one day or even have you guys on my own podcast. Definitely. Yes, for we're, sure. We're Follow Louis, first off, at The Virtuous Victorian, especially because he's launching a podcast in the next few months and you are all obviously podcast people, so you need to do that. Um, And in the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet and simple Aussie content on Instagram and TikTok, Australia Explained Pod. All the info is in the show notes for you to check out. I've restarted the TikTok, so please go look at it. It's really funny. We love the TikTok. I love the TikTok. (laughs) So that's Vanessa's creative outlet. Um, But anyway, we will see you in... Two weeks' time. Bye, Bye, everyone.